From MIT Technology Review, I'm Laurel Ruma, and this is Business Lab, the show that helps business leaders make sense of new technologies coming out of the lab and into the marketplace. Our topic today is the software-driven engineering environment. How a car or a plane is built now is much different than in the days of Henry Ford and the Wright brothers. Vehicles and planes now have more software than hardware. And as innovation evolves, the complexity of the software does as well, which allows for new types of inventions. Two words for you, systems engineering. My guests today are Nand Kochar and Dale Tutt. Nand is the Vice President of Automotive and Transportation for Siemens Software. He joined Siemens in 2020 after almost 30 years at Ford Motor Company, where he held a number of positions, including Global Safety Systems Chief Engineer and Executive Technical Lead. Dale Tutt is the Vice President of Aerospace and Defense Industry for Siemens Software. Prior to this role, Dale worked at the Spaceship Company and in December 2018, led the team on a successful flight to space. Welcome, Nandan Dale. Thank you, Laurel. Hey, thank you, Laurel. I'm very, uh, very excited to be here today. So as product development across industries, including aerospace and defense and automotive, transitions from mechanical engineering to a software-driven engineering environment, systems are growing in complexity. Software-driven engineering has given rise to the interdisciplinary field of systems engineering. In what ways has this new field or new approach affected the industry as a whole and A&D or aerospace and defense and automotive in particular? This field has really given an opportunity for automotive industry to continue to innovate. As you know, the trends in the industry are changing. We're moving from internal combustion engines to a new propulsion systems going towards electrification. And our vehicles are also adapting to levels of autonomy um, from SAE level one to five. And all that brings is a lot of complexity. In fact, you could say software is eating the car. Uh, Software is becoming a predominant part of today's automobile and future automobile. So this approach in the software engineering based discipline has allowed to address that complexity, which is growing because of all the changes, and it has allowed our engineers to continue to innovate and offer what the end customer wants. That is the big change, how the product development and manufacturing in the automotive industry is changing. Yeah, I think just like uh, as, as Nand was saying about the automotive industry, it's, it's you know, we're seeing so much need to great, you know, to innovate much more than you have in the past within aerospace and defense. And so whether it's, you know, building new air taxis or the, uh, EV toll aircraft, um, the advances in space systems and, you know, the, you know, people that are more and more putting people into space and looking at, you know, you know, changing the way you're doing space exploration, and and really, I think as we move in the future, just the need for more sustainability and to uh, to address the uh, you know using less fuel and having greater efficiency on your systems. This has really driven a lot of um, you know, this has driven a lot of innovation in the industry. And companies are using software to 
enable much more complex systems with the expectation that they'll operate more efficiently, more effectively. And in the case of aircraft, result in a lower weight aircraft, which also then you know, uses less energy to to uh, to go from one place to the next. And so, you know, we've seen systems engineering being very uh, predominant in aerospace and defense for decades now, and it's it's now being used to to help drive some of that innovation to really help make sure that you have looked at all of the possible combinations of a complex system and uh, possible failure modes of those systems so that you can provide the safest, most reliable, highest performing product uh, possible for your customers. And so it really has, you know, while it's been around for a long time and looking at these complex systems, I think we've really just seen a, a, a tremendous growth in the, the need for systems engineering and model-based systems engineering uh, among all of our customers to get that innovation that they want to have. So cars are evolving as are planes. And one could even say that there's this massive shift, not just from combustion engines to electric vehicles, but also then to autonomous vehicles for both of these great innovations. So Nand, how does that affect cars in general? And um, when we think about how systems are being used and, and just changing so drastically. Yes, as you said, it, it changes the entire product development approach when you look at autonomous vehicles or electric vehicles. So let's take one at a time. In electric vehicles, instead of having the combustion engines, of course, now there's a battery systems as the source of power generation. And then you have the transmission of that power going through to the wheels. So a lot of the mechanisms in between are changing. So when we say it's battery powered to deliver electrification, it's not just the battery. It is the entire electrical electronics, which changes with it, um, the whole architecture, as well as the software, uh, which is doing the bat what we call battery management system, uh, because it's continuously optimizing the operations uh, of, of the battery so that it can deliver the power on demand, and it can be the most efficient and still address the cross-attribute issues of any thermal performance, etc. So now you see the fundamental shift is happening at a vehicle attribute level, at a driver vehicle performance level, and not only just at the component level that now you have inverters and the motors and the batteries uh, versus the previous systems. Then when you look at autonomy, it becomes even more complex, um, starting with the levels of autonomy um, to SAE level two, where you will have both the braking functions as well as the steering functions and the decision-making happening as a result of those. So now you have extra set of sensors in the car. They're collecting information, collecting data all the time. That information is being sent to the central processing unit to make some decisions. Um, so you've got extra set of softwares, the algorithms making those decisions, and that decisions are going back into the operations of whether it's braking or whether it's steering. So now you see the level of complexity has increased. Take it even further. 
um, to the SE level three or four. Now you have all of the camera, LiDAR, radars, um, sensing systems also need to be talking to the infrastructure, whether that is the city traffic lighting or whether it is the other parts of the transponders installed within the cities. So now you see this definition of the systems have changed. In the past, when we didn't have these advanced vehicles with levels of autonomy, vehicle itself was called a system. And it was a system of systems, and those subsystems were body, chassis, powertrain, electronics. Now, when you look at it in today's autonomous environment, vehicle itself has become a subsystem, and it is working in the system with other cars on the road, with the infrastructure, so your definition of systems have changed. So this is how the approach of system of systems is the only way to address the kind of autonomy we want to enjoy down the road. And Dale, with EVTOL or electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, just one example, is it similar how the systems of systems are changing and evolving? Absolutely. It's, yeah, as Nan said, I think there was for many years, there's always a lot of focus on the aircraft or the, you know, the product itself and, and, you know, thinking of it as the systems of systems, but, you know, with more and more of the, uh, the drones, then that became more of a systems of systems problem. And I think the EV tolls, it's a, it's a problem that's very similar to the, uh, to what we're seeing in the automotive when we start talking about autonomous vehicles and, and it's how do the, you know, how do the aircraft interact with the environment with sensors, maybe in a city, uh, because you're going to be flying in amongst buildings, uh, you're flying, you have to be able to sense and avoid other aircraft that are flying. You have to interact with the charging stations that are, you know, part of their infrastructure. So it does become a much broader, more, 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 uh, complex problem. You have a higher level of connectivity between the different vehicles that are flying around and, and then even as simple as, you know, being able to track them and, and they interact with like an app on your phone. It's, you know, the people as, as they're envisioning this, that you would basically have like an app on your phone where you would be doing ride sharing. So it's, it, it really does, you know, that is part of the system of, of, of how the whole, uh, you know, how the whole system of system works. And so it is, a, it's a much more complex problem than it has been in the past. And you have to be able to connect all the pieces together and manage them and have them interact properly together so that you actually get the desired uh, performance and, and usability and of the service and, and, and to get the performance that you need. Speaking of those t- types of challenges, um, as company you know, infrastructures become more like systems, sy- systems to incorporate technologies like AI, artificial intelligence, and machine learning, it makes sense perhaps to start shift thinking to a systems engineering approach to an entire company. What types of technological changes do companies face in integrating systems engineering into an existing architecture? Yeah, I think it's, there's always a bit of a cultural challenge uh, to, uh, as you start to bring in the new systems approach that sometimes people just want to jump right in and start designing something. And, and, you know, you know, as an engineer, I've, cause I've been guilty of that a few times myself, but, but you really need to have the systems that help manage your requirements that you can do, 
you, know, you can automate the checking of those requirements so that they're written properly and that they're decomposing, you know, from a system of system to a product to the individual subsystems within an aircraft or uh, within a vehicle. And, and so there, there is a lot of technology that you have greater interactions between uh, your uh, simulations, the design software that you're using, uh, and then all of the tools that you're using to manage the system modeling. But there's also, you know, with the higher uh, amount of autonomy in, in that they're desiring that you start to have more of a system safety influence as well. And so you really need to be able to connect these solutions together so that you don't miss things that you, you can see a complete picture and, and it's a lot easier to optimize your products when, when they're all, when, when your software solutions are connected together in a single ecosystem. And so, you know, that's, that's the technical thing. I, I mentioned a little bit about the culture uh, and the ability, you know, the need to be able to, um, you know, that the people have to change their mindset to adopt this systems engineering mindset that no longer are they really working just on their little piece of the vehicle, but, but they're thinking about it in the context of how does it influence, how does it interact with all the other systems on the aircraft, or maybe within the ecosystem, if you're talking about, you know, like air taxis. And so you, you have to look at your processes, you have to look at your people, and, and you have to look at the technology that you're bringing on board and putting together really a, a complete process that really empowers the engineers to be more innovative and, and to really you know, think uh, of new solutions. And speaking of that, Nand, how does empowering engineers look, what does that actually look like um, when you're working on a project? Um, again, uh, I think from a systems engineering approach standpoint, allowing them to first define the problem which needs to be solved, then enabling them with all the tools and processes required to deliver that is that's where the empowerment comes into play. So there are several different levels of technical challenges from your previous questions. And empowering means enabling them with all those. So depending on where individual company or organization is at digital transformation journey, and those challenges will be different. Some will have at a pure infrastructure hardware perspective that they have enough sufficient hardware installed, which can handle now the extensive amount of modeling and computing in their environment. Others who have that environment will have challenges of making sure there are no silos, uh, to Dale's point of culture, within the company, and the information is flowing seamlessly from one end to the other in a digital threat format. Uh, those are the challenges. So there will be several of those. So that's where it is very important to have the overall plan, um, to have the technology part as well as the culture and, and the people side of the business addressed from a talent perspective and filling that um, to deliver the systems engineering approach. And a bit more on that, Dale, how do companies look at that kind of challenge of overcoming the talent gaps and breaking down those information silos? Like that is, those are two primary focuses, you could say, of digital transformation across any industry, but specifically for uh, aerospace and defense and automotive. Those are fairly traditional seeming uh, industries, right? And so it's a real shift to think of this in a different way. Yeah, I, I think it's, 
when people start looking at how do they, you know, how do they address this? It's, you have to go through some amount of training, I think with your people and, and getting them, you know, not just to learn the skills, but to, you know, the, to adopt the mindset that it takes to be a systems engineer. But, but I think the other piece of it then is looking for the solutions that actually help, uh, help automate some of those processes that, you know, that sometimes when you start to break down the barriers, if you think about, you know, maybe like traditional structural design and structures analysis, you're designing uh, a, a composite, you know, skin panel on an airplane. And, and in the past, it might've been where the designer was, would, would design it in, in CAD and then would hand it off to an analyst to do the stress analysis on the part. And then they would have to talk back and forth. But now as you start to bring the tools together and you start to bring the simulation, and the design together, you're now able to start um, having the same person do both tasks because the tools are easy to use, they're integrated and they're well automated together. And so now I think as, you know, so as I now extend that into systems engineering, that the, as you try to address the talent gap, I mean, there's only so much that you can do with training, um, but there's a lot that you can do to help make the tools easier to use and, and simpler and, and, and making, by making them better integrated by bringing technologies like AI into it, where you can help to automate the generation of different design concepts and the analysis of those concepts using simulation tools. Um, I think that you can extend the capabilities of the, uh, you know, of the system so that it helps empower your engineers. I used that word empowering engineers earlier. And I think that when you see the companies that are being the most successful adopting systems engineering, they're doing it because systems engineering and the tools that are being used are becoming part of the, uh, almost like the, the DNA of their, of their engineering organization that everyone is starting to think a bit like a systems engineer, even in their normal job. And so by doing that, you've, you've, you've changed your whole organization focusing on that and you don't have to rely on this, you know, super, specialized group of, of systems engineers to kind of manage that process. Now you really have everybody that's a stakeholder in that process. And I think, you know, the tools and the ecosystem that you, you, uh, that you use to do systems engineering really has a very large role in uh, helping with that problem. And we keep on that idea of, of simulation and artificial intelligence. That is certainly something that needs, uh, a lot of data, a lot of uh, engineering to solve these really large problems. Um, how many times do you go to the moon and back when you test out an autonomous <laughs> yeah. vehicle? It, it, hundreds, right? So you need an enormous amount of data to to be able to run the simulation or the models. Could you explain a bit more how simulation or even the concept of digital twin, which is creating a digital online environment to mimic what you would be actually building in the field, how does that fit into systems engineering? It plays a very big part of it. It's almost at the center of it. It's We often think about systems engineering in, in the context of of requirements and, and your system modeling and, and then the verification processes to demonstrate that you've satisfied those requirements. And that's the classic closed loop process of systems engineering. But, but the, the sim, the simulation becomes a very critical tool towards uh, being able to develop these, the architectures of your product and optimize those products. And, and you can now look at thousands of options. You can run different tests and, 
And, and so it, it plays a very big role in helping to define your product up front. And then as you start to go into your verification process, because you have the tools, the simulation tools to really evaluate the performance of your product in many different configurations, you can identify design changes before you start building the product and before you start testing it. So you don't, you don't wait till you start testing to find out that you have a problem. You're doing this virtual verification, this continuous ver- uh, verification. And so it really does play a key role, both in the definition of the architecture, then the definition of the product, and then finally in the verification of the product. And really, it plays a key role, and uh, it really helps optimize your processes that are being used to develop the new product. And Nand, how does that help safety when you can use simulation or digital twins or just have more data to make these vehicles more safe? Yeah, absolutely. Simulation is the foundation of the starting point, in my mind, of uh, delivering a digital twin. Um, So the simulation uh, forms the foundation of delivering a digital twin or systems engineering, in my mind. So with the simulation in the upfront phases, you can do the right architecture selections and then move on into the detailed designs um, and... It allows you to explore the space for optimization and delivering that solution. When you combine that with the physical representation of the, of the, of the same simulations, and you have to bring these two things together, that's how you increase the confidence of your simulation and also the test results, physical test results, which come, which is called a CAE test correlation, and that helps deliver the systems engineering. So uh, you could say simulation, digital twin, they go hand in hand in delivering or enabling systems engineering um, to go from end to end. So Nand, how does systems engineering help scale product development um, and or create this industrial efficiency? What, what is the return on investment? The industrial efficiency is one of the biggest thing is the end deliverable, how you monetize all these investments. So I'll use a couple of examples. You ask how do you deliver a safety vehicle. So when you have a lot of simulations done, and one of the goals in there is to reduce the number of physical prototype built so you can rely on that simulation, which by definition is cheaper, because you're not building a prototype parts and the machinery to build those prototypes as an example. And that's a big thing in automotive industry. But at the same time, you're doing a lot of innovation. There are some things which have not been done in a physical testing environment. So you have to go kind of hand in hand to do some test CA correlation, build confidence. And after that point, you're generating another set of data through simulation and now your next time on the next program or the next iteration of the design, you're a lot more efficient. Let me take that even further. How artificial intelligence, along with this massive simulation data fits in. There are a lot of cases that you take the simulation data and through machine learning, you're training the algorithms what the outcome of that particular simulation you're doing would be. So if you're doing a aerodynamic analysis and looking at a coefficient of drag, 
It's intensive from a computational standpoint. Sometimes those runs run up to five days to get you the results. So now if you train your algorithms through this machine learning and artificial intelligence, you can keep building your database that for a given conditions, given test condition, what the results would be. At the end, when you have another new design scenario, you don't have to do those five-day-long simulations. You put it through those algorithms, and that gives you the results within a matter of minutes. Um, so you can see a huge efficiency, both in terms of time it takes to do it, and also the computing, which uh, cost of all those things. And that's how you add on to the return on investments and expand your product development. So you scale product development for multiple perspectives with doing more with the less, with less number of people because of simulation and all these technologies combined, you can do the same amount of work or you could say with the same amount of people, you can push through many products uh, in the automotive industry. You have simultaneously uh, sometimes up to 20 programs running and you can be more efficient and that's what results in uh, return on the investment and the technology at once into downstream um, returns. And Dale, when we talk about return on investment and aircraft for aerospace defense, we're talking about really investing in a system and hardware that can last for years. Um, an airplane is not replaced within a year. It, it needs to last a long time. How does ROI really affect the way that um, people think about that with systems engineering? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. And, you know, and I think uh, Nand, uh, some of the comments that Nand made really captured a lot of that very well as, as well, that um, I, I usually think about this in kind of two ways. One is when you think about a program in aerospace as it's going through the development program, you're working with large teams and, and you look at the, some of the budgets that are used for some of these programs and you know, they might spend 10 million, 20 million, maybe even a hundred million dollars a month, um, to, to, uh, as part of the funding as they're going through the certification process. And, and if you can use simulation to avoid a month or two of delay, that's a pretty significant amount of money. And a lot of times the ROI, uh, may be measured in sense of, you maybe only had a handful of simulation and people, you know, people, you know, working on this problem and, and, you know, the ROI, you know, can be 10, 20, 30, 40 X. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's a pretty amazing savings, uh, when you, when you, you know, go through the process or maybe it's a pretty amazing cost avoidance. Uh, the other piece of it that you mentioned with these, you know, being able to support these programs over a you know, 50, 60 year product development life cycle. Uh, having the simulation there in place to be able to understand how the uh, how the product is you know, the aircraft is performing once it's out in the field that you're updating the digital twin the the simulation and and you're able to optimize maintenance cycles uh, that can be a huge cost savings for the operators and again you know the the ROI uh, may be in multiples of a ten you know ten or twenty on some of that. Uh, Sometimes those costs, are, you know, they're, they're kind of hidden costs, but uh, it's 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 pretty substantial savings. And then when you want to upgrade or add new capabilities, because you have that digital twin, you have the simulation in place, you have done the systems engineering work, 
it's actually easier to integrate and bring those new capabilities to the customer. And you, you continue to add value really, you know, throughout the entire product of uh, lifetime. So uh, it's the ROI is, is pretty significant with a lot of these tools and goes beyond just the first time you simulate and start designing the vehicle. It, it, it really pays dividends throughout the entire product lifecycle. So non earlier, you mentioned smart cities and systems engineering approaches could be extended to many different problem types, including smart cities. How do you think system engineering will help further invention and innovation? When I was talking before, I said you first define what your system is. So in a smart city, your system has become city and the vehicle in the city, as an example. So your definition of system has moved from a vehicle into the entire the flow of traffic in the city, um, how the lightings, uh, traffic lights operate in the city, and you can continue to extend that into other aspects of the building management, as an example, into the smart city environment. Uh, in the autonomous vehicle case, the vehicles will be moving on their own without a driver, or even that's happening even today, ride-sharing services in an autonomous mode that's running. So that is part of the city. So they have to work with the entire city infrastructure, uh, entire city traffic systems, the traffic controllers, uh, and the autonomous vehicle. So it becomes a totally different business case than what we have running today. All these things are continuing to allow the innovation, both at a technical level as well as at a business model level. So as a result of autonomy uh, and the autonomous vehicle deployment, new business models are being formed. So it is whether uh, sharing of the vehicle itself or it's delivering of the goods or ride sharing are some of the examples. And that's what I mean by you continue to innovate what makes sense and how we can monetize and companies can be profitable. Um, so those are some of the examples. Uh, in terms of the technical um, side of the business, the connectivity is a big piece of it. So uh, as, uh, as the consumer trends are, people are watching Netflix on their phone at home. When they move into their car to go somewhere, they want that continuity. They don't want any disruption and continue to watch them in the car audio-video system. Um, so all these connectivities allows um, for the consumer. So that gives more ideas of product development, again, in the electrical electronics world, how the cars need to handle this. Uh, the big one in the auto industry is uh, over-the-air updates. Um, so the whole paradigm shift that you have to get a new model year car every few years to most of the car features can be updated through software. So your hardware could stay the same, but you can buy new features and you don't have to go to any dealership because all those features are coming through software and they can be delivered over the air uh, while the vehicle is parked at your home or wherever, and, and then you can leverage that. Now you can see that is, again, we've expanded the definition of system. The system has become the software being pushed from the author of that software uh, to the end consumer for their products. And that whole thing has to work in a safe environment uh, with the cybersecurity. Um, so everything is happening. So those are some of the extreme examples which are 
happening today. And Dale, how do you feel about innovation and invention with systems engineering? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, everything that uh, we've been talking about here today is just, you know, you know, you think about connected cities and, and connected, you know, the connected cars and connected airplanes and EV tolls and, or I should say just air taxis in general. I, I, it's just, it, it's amazing. You know, when you think about, you know, the business models, maybe we haven't thought about yet, but you know, some that we, you know, some we dream about, at least in aerospace, you know, it's like going to the moon and, and I think about, you know, that as a systems of systems approach and, and the ability of with the, all the new tools now to be able to look at more options that you, you, you might look at a completely different set of how to get to the moon and, 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 and live on the moon that, you know, instead of a rocket that's launching and then you, you know, you, you know, transfer into lunar module, lunar lander. And, and you think about how the Apollo missions were set up and, you know, there was a lot of optimization that went into that, but now you can maybe look at it completely do different models. But, uh, I, I think it's, you know, I, I think that we are, you know, that as we start thinking about how we're using energy, uh, around, you know, around the world and, and, you know, and how we're being in a more sustainable future and, and, and as things, as these smart cities become more and more connected that, you know, how are you using energy effectively, uh, for your transportation, uh, how are you using it more effectively, uh, you know, with your power generation that, you know, when the sun gets at the hottest point of the day and you need to have, you know, your, you know, you have air conditioning, how do you make buildings smarter so that the people, you know, if the, if there's buildings where there's not a lot of people in them, how do you change the temperature? So you change the electricity. I mean, there's just there's so many different possibilities to, to really think about how we're using the resources that we have and, and, uh, and, and, and really connecting people together better. So I don't know, it's just, I just think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities as people start to, you know, connect all of these devices together to really uh, become much more aware of our surroundings and, and how we're, you know, and, and how we're interacting with the, the with the city, with the city and, and the other people. So I'm excited about it. Excellent. Nan and Dale, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business Lab. Well, thank you. It was really great to be here and I enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you. Thank you once again. I enjoyed the conversation as well. That was Nan Kochar and Dale Tutt from Siemens Software. I spoke with them from Cambridge, Massachusetts, the home of MIT and MIT Technology Review, overlooking the Charles River. That's it for this episode of Business Lab. I'm your host, Laurel Ruma. I'm the Director of Insights, the Custom Publishing Division of MIT Technology Review. We were founded in 1899 at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and you can find us in print, on the web, and at events each year around the world. For more information about us and the show, please check out our website at technologyreview.com. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll take a moment to rate and review us. Business Lab is a production of MIT Technology Review. This episode was produced by Collective Next. Thanks for listening.